Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's Joey Gladstone and J.R. Gray, two grudge racers who have come to the NHRA with a fury. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that Pro Stock car. Pro Stock motorcycle and Pro Modified on today's show. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, Brian Loans back again with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, and on this episode, the grudge men cometh. We're going to talk to Joey Gladstone and J.R. Gray. Obviously, Joey Gladstone, great pro-stock motorcycle racer. He and Corey Reed have an incredible new program coming this year. Suzuki Motorcycles being fully prepared by Vance and Hines, uh, built from the ground up there, running the four-valve cylinder head, fully fuel-injected. We're going to talk to Joey about everything that this program has in store, as well as the program that... They're going to transition into a rental side of their team with their V-Twin motorcycles, which ran very strong over the course of 2020. We saw those guys pretty sparingly over the course of 2020, but when they showed up, uh, Corey and Joey both had a pretty wide-ranging impact from Indy to Texas, where Joey went to a final round, to Las Vegas, where they qualified well and went fast out there in the high desert. The second guest on the show is going to be J.R. Gray, a name that may be unfamiliar to some NHRA fans, but will not be unfamiliar very long, as J.R. has been named as the driver of the Mike Janis Racing Supercharged Pro Modified that competes in the E3 Spark Plugs Pro Mod category. And for those of you unaware, a couple of weeks ago, Mike Janis had a health scare with his heart, and he went in. The doctors uh, thankfully did what they needed to do to get Mike uh, back into shape, but they did tell him that his days as a ProMod driver have come to an end. So this team that has been a staple in the ProMod racing world really since the beginning of the class and this family, the Janus family, which has been in drag racing for well more than half a century, did not have any inkling about parking that thing. They went public very quickly with the news about Mike Janis, the fact that he was done driving, and they effectively said, we need to find the right person to put in this race car. It is a world-class, competitive, championship-level car. We need to find the right driver. Well, the right driver turns out to be J.R. Gray, a guy who, if you're unfamiliar with now, you will not be by the end of this show, and a man who comes out of the world of grudge racing, radial tire drag racing, and he's worked his way through the ranks. He didn't just show up one day and go grudge racing. He's really uh, gone from the grassroots of bracket racing and racing with his dad and grandfather to achieve some of the most uh, incredible, prominent victories, not only in grudge racing, but also in radial tire racing, which we're going to talk to him about. He joins the likes of Stevie Fast Jackson, who of a man who he has a great relationship with on the, the radial side of things in grudge racing as well as Lyle Barnett, a guy who's coming into the Pro Mod category in 2021 with a Fury racing with Elite Motorsports, again coming out of that radial-style, grudge-style racing uh, part of the drag racing universe. So going to be great to catch up with JR um, and kind of get his story and and let him kind of tell himself about you and uh, what he's all about and why he is going to be a factor this year in that Mike Janis Racing Pro Mod. When that announcement got made that Mike Janis Sr. wouldn't be driving anymore, a lot of us uh, that love the Pro Mod category were kind of jumped on our phones or were texting each other saying, I wonder who it's going to be, who's going to pick up the phone, who's going to call. car is so good, and uh, J.R. Gray is the guy. And it's going to be another fun name to see come into E3 Sparkplugs Pro Modified. Can't wait to talk to him about his experience. And that kind of side of drag racing he has spent most of his time in and what he feels like he brings to the table when we come to the E3 spark plug side. This will be the first supercharged car he's ever raced. He's always been a nitrous guy, so there's another kind of fun element to the story. As far as Joey Gladstone goes, you know, we know Joey's background, incredible rider, just an assassin on the starting line, and the story of how this whole Vance and Hines program came to be is is a really kind of funny one, and it's an, it's a great one. And for Joey Gladstone, maybe he and Corey Reed were the most two, you know, surprised guys in America that even this whole process got going. And it started last year before the Gator Nationals. So we're going to be closing about a one-year loop on this project from beginning to end. There has been great news uh, around the course of drag racing. There's been some tough news around the sport of drag racing as well. The good news, Doug Coletta, Coletta Motorsports, has re-upped and extended their Mac Tools sponsorship. That's an, a relationship that has been two decades uh, long so far for Coletta Motorsports. Of course, I've never seen Doug Coletta in a race car without the Mac Tools name on the side, and I'm thankful to say that we will not be looking at Doug Coletta 
in a race car without the Mac Tools name on the side because they have extended their agreement. Same goes for Cruz Pedregon, which we talked about, the three-year extension from Snap-on to Cruz to continue his Nitro Funny Car team uh, into the foreseeable future. The big news coming out of Don Schumacher Racing last week was the retirement of Ron Tobler, news that... Um, that really struck a nerve with, with all of us that, that no Ron Tober, all of us that follow drag racing, I'm sure uh, those of you that are listening that are hardcore fans, you thought, wow, Ron Tober's retiring. It, it is selfishly a saddening thing because I love the guy so much and so many of us do. It is also a happy thing because Ron, over the course of 50 years in this sport, has earned every inch of a retirement that he and his wife Ellen will undoubtedly enjoy on the beach under the sun. And, you know, when we talk about Ron Tober, we talk about championships with Shirley Muldowney. We talk about a career that began in the 1960s as a young kid working with Dickie Venables' dad. He and Dickie Venables have a, what I would describe as a brotherly relationship of the best kind. While they're not related by blood, they may as well be. They spent so much of their youthful lives together traveling around and going drag racing. That friendship maintains itself today. They're also fierce competitors. I don't think we're done seeing Ron at the racetrack. I, I do think, obviously, in a full-time capacity, he will not be tuning the Napa Dodge anymore. I, uh, but he does maintain good relationships with so many teams that there is not a chance, not an iota of a chance, that over the course of 2021, we won't see him bubble up here and there. We know he maintains a very tight relationship with the Zizos, the Zizzo family. He helps them out with the tune-up on that top fuel dragster. It would not shock me to see him floating around their pits every once in a while. And he maintains a great relationship with so many teams that... If some team finds themselves in the weeds this year and they give him a call, maybe he pops up here and there to just lend a hand, lend some expertise, and lend his kind of Yoda-like influence over uh, over an operation. But Ron Tobler, you know, Cruz Pedregon Championships, Shirley Championships, Ron Caps Championships, 70 NHRA national event wins, including uh, what may have been his most memorable, the win at, at Gainesville in 2020 with, with the explosion in the semifinals and caps spinning the car out to a stop safely in the shutdown area the thrash to get back there for the final and ultimately they win the race so for ron tober uh it's a great thing you know in and um he's he's earned it he deserves it and he's certainly one of the best of all time and certainly one of the best guys of all time those of us that are fortunate enough to have a personal relationship with him all say the same thing just a fantastic human being when we look at other news in the sport of drag racing there was a big report that came out about Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park in Phoenix. Now, the NHRA said, hey, we're not racing there in 2021, which is a shame, but uh, it was a decision made uh, in conjunction with the the tribe that operates the racetrack, the reservation there, the casino, all of the things, and there was concerns about a large mass gathering at this time in history with COVID-19, and so NHRA and the track work together, and ultimately they have decided that in 2021 we will not race at that racetrack. A few days later, a conceptual report came out showing uh, what is to be planned anyway as a massive expansion of the casino property. And when that report came out, the schematics did not show a drag strip on them. So... Uh, the internet being what it is and the world being what it is, everybody went to the immediate red line that the racetrack was closing and we'd never see it again and would never happen again and that was going to be that. Thankfully, uh, cooler heads prevailed over the next couple of days and a statement was put out by the racetrack saying that, yes, there was a giant conceptual drawing put out. It is a conceptual drawing. Um, <laughs> it isn't a final plan. There are no bulldozers sitting next to the racetrack. The amount of work and things that they're talking about doing there uh, would be years in the making. We are going to race there in 2022 and for the foreseeable future. Is there a day and a time when the track may not exist anymore years down the road? I'm saying hopefully not, but maybe there is. But it is not a situation where the track is going to be gone tomorrow. It is not a situation where we will not be going back there to race next year. And it was good to see the facility itself step up and kind of quell some of the doomsday rumors that that was it. And the reason that NHRA wasn't going there is because they were going to bulldoze the place. Not true. It was a public health concern, a public health decision that was made. And so that's why that uh, we will not be racing in Phoenix as planned in 2021. But 2022, we will be going back there, assuming uh, things have corrected themselves as far as public health. And we can do so in a safe manner that everybody is happy about having us there. That is the major league news that's been released, I guess, over the course of the last week. 
Um, there's been, you know, other rumblings, some some changes being made internally at some of the teams, some hustle certainly being made by many of the teams to field sponsorship. Still waiting on uh, a definitive word from John Force Racing, who's going to be racing, how many cars, where, when, and why, and hopefully that'll be coming over the next couple of weeks. But uh, excited for the, the extension for Doug Coletta. Uh, certainly on the on a personal level, uh, happy for Ron Tobler for the retirement. The rumor is, and this is a kind of a logical step to make here, is that tuning of the Napa car will likely go to Dean Antonelli and uh, John Medlin, as it appears that the former Infinite Hero car uh, does not have backing at this point, and so they would transition over after the retirement of Ron Tobler. We'll keep you up to date on all that stuff, and likely by the time we finish this show and make the one for next week, we'll have more information on that front. All right, there's some monologue action, and now it's time to get on with the show. And our first guest, the first of our two grudge racing guys who have come into the world of NHRA. Of course, Joey Gladstone has been in the world of NHRA Pro Stock Motorcycle for years. He is an incredibly talented rider. He's a guy who has just absolutely and continues to mangle people on the starting line, and now he's going to do it with an all-new program from Vance and Hines. Let's welcome Joey Gladstone to the show. Joey, how you doing, man? Good, buddy. How are you? Good. You uh, you provided uh, the last big hunk of entertainment at the end of the Pro Stock Motorcycle season in 2020 at Dallas when you uh, raced your way to a final round. And uh, I don't so much want to spend a whole lot of time talking about that, but I would like to talk about that weekend. I definitely am interested in the new program. So for a minute, let's relive a pretty wild Sunday in Dallas. Yeah, that, that, that weekend was pretty wild, man. I hadn't raced, um, I hadn't raced in at Pro Stock Motorcycle in over a year at that point. And uh, we were just kind of like, you know, Corey had just made a really good, uh, you know, debut for that year in Indy. Yeah. And, you know, had some success. And we were like, man, we we got some nice stuff. Like, let's go use it. Everything was all fresh. And, you know, we, we were all we were all fresh and ready to go for the year. So we were like, all right, let's go try it. And uh, and we did. And, and I was kind of nervous because we only had, you know, two qualifiers with a new format. And uh, the first qualifier out, man, boom, like 689 and, <laughs> and got us in the top half of the field. I was stoked on that because that's pretty fast for Dallas for us. And then um, and it really – the weekend, you know, it's kinda, it was kind of a wild weekend because, like, the next qualifier, I go to try and improve on the 89, and my foot peg fell off after the burnout box. <laughs> so, like, I was so close to trying it. Like, I was, I was going to send it. You know, my uh, Cecil looked over. At, I looked over at Cecil. I was like, "Should I try it?" He's like, "Say, yeah, I think you can do it." And then I like pre-staged, and I was like, "You know what, man? I, I ain't gonna learn nothing here." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if it was a final round, yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd end it. But, but no. But anyway, um, but yeah, it was it was kind of a uh, one of those like Sundays that like you know every every drag racer that's been in it long long enough knows like sometimes it just feels like your day, no matter what you do, you know, you can't lose. And honestly, that's that's the way I felt because you know I think first round, junior Hector Junior red lit to me. He would have beat me. Yep. Um, second round, what I raced Michael Phillips. Yes. Um, yeah, I raced Michael Phillips, um, and I broke. I actually broke a transmission on that run. No, oh my, I, my my kill switch my kill switch wire broke, which oh. shut the bike off in like fourth gear, <laughs> and and just just broke the transmission or something something like that happened. Anyway, um, and then the next round, Angel red lit to me, and she she would have like just absolutely blew my doors off, you know, with the run I made. And I just I, I really honestly thought in the finals that there was nothing I could do that would make me lose, but <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> Man, yeah, we've seen so much over the last couple of seasons. We've seen so much great action on Sundays at a pro stock motorcycle, and you know, the, to me, and, and you've been around this sport a long time in a bunch of different forms, but the thing that makes it so fun is that it's so unpredictable, right? Like, when you can roll in on a Sunday morning and literally not be able to predict who's going to win the race, it makes it better for everybody. Absolutely, absolutely, and, uh, you know, the, that's what was cool about last year with Pro Stock Bike. It was a really unpredictable class. It all started at the end of the year before, really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, she kind of got the trend started, and, uh, and you know, there's quite a few first-time winners. I mean – didn't like uh, Chris Bostic make it to a final too? Yeah, Chris and, Bostic uh, raced Angel, and that was the race where you know Angel's bike was kind of falling apart before the burnout, and they got it all back together at the last second. I mean, there was a lot of really kind of cool moments over the course, and then you get, of course, um, you know, the big win at the U.S. Nationals by Scotty Polacek. I mean, just a lot of great yeah. stuff. I think Ryan got his first win. You yes. know, it was, there was a lot of good stuff, and I think that's you know that that all that craziness that was going on kind of motivated. That's why Corey really. I think why Corey wanted to go out at that indie race. He was like, "Man, like this seems like kind of like the year to go out there and, and and shake it up." So we did, 
and it was it was fun to mess with people because we we came out there with really fast bikes. Like I think we qualified at number three at uh at the, whatever at Vegas. Yes. Um, which was we've never gone fast at Vegas, so that was cool. So it was cool to take take bonus points away from certain people and kind of like you know make other people sweat. It was that kind of stuff's fun. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk about uh, the program that's coming, and I really want to talk about the genesis of this because um, you have and you will continue to have involved in your team these fast V-twin bikes that you were riding last year, but anybody that follows the sport knows that you and you and Corey are going to be on some uh, likely very fast Suzuki's, the engine work being done by Vance and Hines, chassis work as well. Let's talk a little bit about how something like this comes together because it seems to me you got these nice V-twin bikes that are going to be good for some some rental customers, I would guess, but man, this four valve stuff you got coming is going to be the most technologically advanced uh, program in the sport right now. Yeah, that's um. So the the way it all came about, it was kind of a surprise to us. Like you know, if you would have talked to Corey and I at this time last year, you know, it, there would have been no 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 way in, in heck that that uh, that this would have been going on. But we we showed up to preseason testing after a long winter of uh, of like R and Ding the, the V twin bikes, and we we found fifteen horsepower last winter, and that's really why our, yeah. our v twin stuff kind of like picked up the way it did but but anyway we went down we're on our way down to orlando for preseason testing we showed up and we showed up at night uh you know probably 10 o'clock at night and we pull in and we start talking to to uh, Corey's dad jim whiteley and he's like he's like yeah i've been talking to those uh those guys over there he points over at the at the harley trailer <laughs> and he's like yeah i've been talking to those guys he's like who eddie and andrew he's like yeah yeah, yeah i've been talking to them you need to go talk to them because we're gonna we're gonna get two of them new Suzukis with with the four valve motors, best of the best, and, and we're gonna go out there and, and go for a championship with those bikes. And I was like, well, I was like, well, what? I was like, well, you know, Corey and I were like, all right, um, and you know, that sounds great. You know, I mean, why not? And uh, and you know, brand new, brand new state of the art motorcycles, like, like heck yeah, you yeah. know, we'll take that. And uh, so we had a meeting with with Eddie and Andrew in Gainesville, you know, while the whole while everybody was waiting around to see if we were going to race Gainesville, we had a meeting with them and, and shook hands on it. And they got to work all last year, you know, doing it right, building everything from the ground up. You know, uh, the new bikes are 100% Vance and Hines in-house built bikes. Um, you know, they're, they did the chassis. They, uh, well, actually our, our a good friend of ours, Ryan Schnitz is doing the wiring. Oh, nice. Okay. Vance, yeah. Vance and Hines is doing, uh, doing everything. They're mounting the bodies. They're, and they'll be right there with us when while we're testing. You know, we're kind of doing a uh, like a, a a Jerry Savoie level type of involvement with them. You know, uh, we're we're doing like the whole R and D program with them. It's going to be a really cool relationship. Um, and it's kind of I don't know. I some people might think it's kind of weird that we got our our own stuff too. But if you know, everybody's got to if if you're not totally involved in it, you wouldn't understand. You know the you know everything that goes into this V twin stuff. It's it's a lot of work. We got fast stuff and we got good parts, but um, to run a V twin competitively, our two V twins at that competitively, is, is I'm gonna I'm gonna say three times the price of running a, a Suzuki program competitively. Wow. Um, you know, that's that's from from our experience. I mean, I'm I, you know I'm sure like you know Matt and Angie, they've whittled they probably whittled it down to, to you know less than that because they they make their their living out of it. Yeah. For so they made their living out of it for so long. But if you, man, if if you really just if you replace every part as it needs to be replaced and all that that stuff, it's it's very costly to run a V twin, and the R and D is is very expensive. If you're going to be running an engine dyno on a V twin, it's you know it's kind of asinine how much it costs, and um, you know the, the the companies that you have to buy parts from, like I won't, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to put anybody on blast specifically, but there's a couple parts that you have to get from certain people that are just outrageously expensive because um, yeah, they got the know, market cornered yeah they got the market cornered yeah and you know you can the v twin stuff is is cool because you can uh you can go out on your own and get your own you can design your own chambers in your heads you can you know get your own pistons design your own rods your own cranks all that stuff it's really cool to to go down that path and and it's rewarding when your bikes go fast um but it's a lot of work especially like it's just it's just Corey and I in the shop right now. You know, yeah. our shop is is next to Cecil's, but Cecil has his own business that he has to concentrate on, and uh, you know he helps us with tuning. But as far as maintaining the bikes and, and building the motors, you know, Corey and I maintain the bikes, and Corey does all the fabrication and all the maintenance on the chassis and stuff like that. And I 
I build the motors. So it's it's just a lot for for two people to handle. So to have to have to be able to have two bikes ready to go, you know, from Vance and Hines is going to be a huge help to us, and we'll be able to concentrate on getting customers in here to ride our stuff. Yeah, and I think ultimately, like you said, I mean, if if you don't really follow the sport, maybe it sounds weird, but ultimately, it's it's a brilliant way to do this because. Uh, the the V twin bikes, as you proved, as both you and Corey proved last year, are one hundred percent fully capable of running with anybody at this point. So you not only have you're not just you're not renting a bike out that you can go look at a guy and go, yeah, you'll probably qualify if you ride this the right way. I mean, you're looking at a bike that a capable rider can actually go out and hopefully go some rounds on, and and I think that is, you know, it, your experience is certainly more in depth than mine. But if if I'm a potential if I'm a rider who's looking for a rental program to get involved in pro stock motorcycle and I have a high kind of opinion of my abilities, I want to get on something that I can feel competitive on, not just maybe roll in 14th to 16th to get stomped out in the first round. Right. And that's, that's what a lot of, a lot of people that, that want to get into the, uh, the class, that's what a lot of them struggle with. Um, everybody, everybody that, that comes in, not everybody, but most of the people that come in and rent a bike for a race or two, they always think they got screwed over and didn't get the, the, uh, the, you know the 670 package that the, the a that the team riders have but they you know it's it's you got to kind of approach a rental program the right way so that 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 you can avoid that and matt does a wonderful job at that i mean yes he does matt matt look, look at uh, look at scotty scotty was going faster than matt for most of the season <laughs> right. um, you know it just goes to show you like that there's there's people out there there's teams out there that will you know give you give you the a stuff but it takes a lot to pull everything out of of these yeah. uh, these pro stock bikes. Yeah, the, basically, the way that that I, I like to uh, like um, put it out there for like pro stock bikes, this is how it works. So your your bike is going to give you uh, a minimum ET. Like let's say your bike has a potential for a six seventy five in it, right? If you do a flawless job, which a lot of them out there do, but you you start from the moment that you drop the the clutch lever, you start taking thousands and hundreds of a second off with everything that you do you know and um it, it takes every it takes everything in a person to extract a good et out of one of those bikes that's why matt does it that's why matt eddie and andrew do it so frequently yeah they got great power but you know great power is nothing without great riding you yeah know? you have to you have to extract like you said and it's kind of a fun way to look at it where the rider is actually from the moment like you said he lets the when the moment the rider lets the, lets the clutch out you're deducting from the performance of the motorcycle rather than adding to it right <laughs> right right yeah and like cool. for example and like i don't know i don't know much about driving driving cars i've never driven a fast race car down down the track but like if you got your butt cheek an inch over to the left in a car i'm sure it wouldn't ma- much matter you know <laughs> right. when you let go of the two-step button going down the track you know but if you got your your butt cheek an inch over to the left on from one run to the other, you know, it's going to affect a, a, a motorcycle pretty drastically. Um, you know, you know? Sp- speaking of some of these changes, obviously coming in with a, the four valve uh, four cylinder Suzuki engine versus the V twin stuff that you've uh, both been riding uh, much more frequently. And over time in the NHRA category, anyway, uh, you're going to have to alter your riding style a little bit here, right? I mean, obviously shift points are going to be in different places. Uh, you're going to be running these bikes at a completely different RPM range. So talk a little bit about that. When you guys go down to testing, how much of it is going to be almost retraining yourself to get rid of some of that V-twin muscle memory that you built up? Yeah, it's uh, well, the, hopefully hopefully they're, the transition's nice and easy, but it never always works like that. Um, there is there is a, quite, quite a difference in how you ride them, the uh, the the, the the inline four stuff is it feels like you're on a sewing machine compared to a paint shaker on the Buells. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um it's but it's but it's so much smoother. It's honestly it's easier to concentrate on your shift points on a Suzuki than it is a V twin. In my opinion, everybody's gonna have different opinions, but I've been I've ridden quite a few different V twins and, and different Suzukis and all types of different motorcycles, but it's I, I think that you have to be a little more precise on the inline four stuff as far as body English and things like that. And um they're much more sensitive to if you short shift you they're, they're going to be much more sensitive you short shift a thousand rpm on a on a suzuki over a v-twin but uh the v-twin you can kind of you can kind of be a little more bullish on it you can kind of hang off of it a little bit more uh short shifted by 100 rpm it won't really notice a difference um but like i said the best way i can compare it is like one's like a sewing machine and one's like a paint shaker when you the first time that you put one of those v twins on a two-step it, it scares the shit out of you Excuse me. It scares, no, it scares it's the, the internet you. man you can say whatever you want <laughs> oh, okay good 
I didn't know if it was like NHRA sanctioned or whatever. No, it's the internet, bro. It's good. <laughs> All right, good deal. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's wild, and that's going to be a, a really kind of fun thing to watch. You know, one of the other things I saw you mention in a in a story about the, the about the new bikes coming is that they're going to use a, kind of a Gen two, what you call the Gen two Hayabusa body, something that you feel like uh, best represents or is what a pro stock motorcycle should look like. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that uh, pro stock bike has been it's kind of been stuck in a rut of of like you know vintage body styles yeah. and um and people not knowing what the heck they're looking at when it comes to those bikes because the some of the bikes that are out there uh that the body styles that are out there well the motors that are in the the, the inline fours are 40 years old yeah you know the cases but 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 that's that's a whole nother issue but the body style is something that we can control the body style some of those bodies you know, are from 97. So I was six years old when that body came out. So people like me and, and younger than me don't know what they, they have nothing to relate to on those motorcycles. So we thought it'd be cool to bring back the, cause the Hayabusa body came out a while back, but it wasn't, it didn't do very good in the wind tunnel. So okay, it's, so now uh, Tim Colungian and Jerry Savoie spent a lot of time and money in the wind tunnel, fixing that body and resubmitting it to NHRA so that's naturally that was the one that we wanted to go with um even if it's just the exact same as far as an aero package as far as you know the advantages as the tl and all that we wanted something that looks newer more more fan appeal uh things like that more modern because we're the 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 new four valve head that vance and hines provides is like a more of a modern style um it's got finger followers and you know instead of flat tappets you know in the head it's um and, and when you look at it, it looks like a like a piece of art. It's like a futuristic piece of art. And we're doing we're doing you know complete Motec fuel injection. We're not doing the carburetors nice. with you know Motec for timing. We're doing complete 100% Motec M130 stuff with all the latest and greatest sensors. Um, we're, we're trying to we're trying to do pro stock motorcycle right. You know. Yeah, I mean, and, and like I said earlier, this is, uh, in my opinion, the will these will be the most advanced motorcycles that the class has really ever seen. Yeah, I, I believe so too. I believe so too. I, I don't, I don't think anybody's really come close to it. I, I, I think you know, I don't know if if Jerry, Jerry, I think Jerry's on fuel injection, so Jerry's been doing it for a while. But a lot of the bikes out there will, they, you know, well, a lot of the Suzukis are carbureted yeah. with MSDs, and um, they're pretty archaic, and then. Some people run carburetors with, you know, a Max or a Motec or something just to run the ignition timing because they can't get MSD parts anymore for that the ones that they use. Because it's so old. But, <laughs> yeah, because it's so old. But it's, you know, if the fuel injection is done right, it's it's going to be it's going to be killer. It's going to be hard to beat those bikes. Really cool. And one last topic I want to I want to talk to you about is the fact that well we didn't see you and Corey much on the NHRA trail this year. You guys were still racing. My understanding is you're doing a bunch of uh, doing a bunch of racing in different sanctions and stuff just to keep yourselves fresh. And I guess the more reps you get on whatever bike you're on is going to ultimately improve your performance no matter what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we we've been doing a lot of racing, um, just as much racing as as they, as they were doing back on tour. Uh, we did a lot of like what I call it. It's the street bike side of stuff. It's where I come from. Uh, the no wheelie bar stuff. Uh, Cecil's got a huge presence in that. And if you walk over to his side of the shop, he's got you know a, a dozen high horsepower nitrous and turbo and all motor grudge bikes over there that are just kind of you know they they're sitting there waiting for good riders. And uh, I had already been riding a grudge bike for a little while called Gravedigger, um, and it was a high horsepower nitrous no bar bike, and we were doing real good on that. And Corey was coming around to the grudge races, and he kind of got an itch for it. And one of Cecil's customers approached him about riding his nitrous bike. So Corey started doing that and took to that like a like a fish in water. Like nice. he, I didn't even I told him I told him one time I was like, all right, look, you got to drag your feet through first gear and then pick them back up and then just go through the motions. And he did it first shot. So that was that was cool to see him do that. We also man, what else did we do? We were we were running a class called Super Stock. Um, that was, it's a stock wheel based foot shift hand clutch class. So it's a really rider oriented class and we had a lot of success in that. I won, I won a race out there, um, doing that. Uh, Corey had a Ducati. I had a Suzuki that we were running that class on. What else, man? I was all types of grudge bikes. Yeah, and that's cool. this year, even, even this year, we're not just pro stock motorcycle racing. We're doing the whole pro stock motorcycle tour, but we're doing, we're doing four XDA races, which is, um, you know, an all motorcycle yes. sanctioned body. 
and we're doing some grudge racing as well, like so probably three or four grudge events as well. And so in the in the XDA, uh, well, Corey Corey is going to be riding a grudge bike in the XDA, I believe. I'll be ride. I'll be actually going back to my roots and racing Pro Street. Oh, that's actually, great, man! That's cool. Yeah, so I I actually uh, bought a motorcycle and I'm now rebuilding it to go Pro Street racing. Uh, it's going to be Nitrous Pro Street with Cecil Towner tuning it and, you know, building the motors and stuff. So that's going to be cool. We're going back for the record. Somebody, somebody took the record away from Cecil. So we got to get it back, man. That's awesome. And you know, the, the two guests on this show are you and then following you is going to be J.R. Gray, who's coming in to drive, uh, for the Mike Janus racing operation in pro mod because Mike, uh, unfortunately had a heart condition. He can no longer drive, but J.R. Gray, much like you, J.R. Gray comes out of the grudge racing world. Now his side of the grudge racing world has always been cars. You've always been on the motorcycle side. So for any three fans that like, I'm, I'm trying to educate them a little bit about grudge racing here because NHRA fans have no clue about the grudge racing scene. Talk a little right. bit about grudge racing motorcycles because it is as intense as anything you're going to see at any sort of national event. It's as intense as any sort of drag racing that exists, and it's basically like high-stakes poker on wheels. Oh, absolutely. The the, the owners the owners of the bike uh, uh, you know, and the people that are all around them really don't – they're not really there for – racing in a, in a sense that you know i would always you know go to races for for the thrill and the, and the fun and, and getting lower and lower ets no it's all about it is all about the gamble it's it's crazy and they don't care like as a rider i freak out sometimes when it's a 20 or thirty thousand dollar pot you know like our, our you know it ends up being a sixty thousand dollar box is thirty thousand dollars from each side <laughs> yeah you know and i'm i'm freaking out i'm like my like, what how you know how crazy are these guys that are doing this you know like that's kind of a dumb move you know, uh, if you're just going to throw money away, just give it to just give it to me. But they don't care, man. It's all about the rush. It's all about the gamble, and and it's it's yeah. As a, as a as a rider and a driver, it's hard to understand. You never really are in involved in the betting part. Um, at least I'm not. I, I never bet any money on myself. I think that's bad juju. But but it's it's wild. And when you go to these grudge events, I'm not 100 percent sure about the car events, but the the grudge events, it's a block party with a with a drag strip at it. Yeah. You know, like, and, and there's nobody, there's no, most of the time there's nobody in the stands, but there's a thousand people from the, <laughs> On starting, the starting line. line yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out from the starting line to behind the burnout box. And, you know, you know, it's, it's wild to, to, to give some, to give like a little bit more of a picture, like at Piedmont or at Darlington, you know, you, you don't know you, your tuner is up there and your, your crew chief is up there picking a spot for you, but you can't see him. You're in the burnout box. You got your motorcycle fired up. You start your burnout. And there's then the people in front of you still haven't moved. All right. And then you start to pull forward and the seas part and then they close up behind you. And then all of a sudden you see your tuner and you got to, you know, weave around the, the cigarette butts and the, and the spilled drinks to try and get to the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's a whole, it's a whole different experience. Everything takes forever uh, to make laps. But at the end of the day, when you, you know, when you get your riders cut or your drivers cut, for one day's work and you got, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 in your pocket. It's, it's awesome. It, it's, it's a badass place to be. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool scene on, on both sides, but I'm, I'm more familiar with the odd, the car side of it than I am with the motorcycle side, but the, the similarities are obviously identical. You know, you you spend a lot of time with guys negotiating what's, what's going to be what, and uh, as far as the money goes, and then, then it's go time. Uh, I guess one last yeah. question to, to finish this off. When we talk about a moment like that, when you're on the starting line and you know potentially you're either going to win your guy thirty grand or lose your guy thirty grand, um, or you're on the starting line in Dallas and you're looking over at Jerry Savoie in that in that moment, do those two things equate? Do the is the emotional thing the same? Is it is it the same kind of emotional like management that you have to do in terms of whether it's a big money grudge race that you're trying to run down or it's a final round at the national event? Talk a little bit about the differences or similarities there. In, in my in my personal opinion, I, I think there's there's a big difference in it. Um, a grudge race, even though it's a lot of money, people forget about it pretty quick when the next guy goes and gets his head chopped off or gets you know, or goes out there and wins. <laughs> you know, like you're only going to be a clown for a little while. But uh, but you know, on the national stage like that, where everybody can see, want everybody can see your reaction times. Everybody gets to watch you to watch the replays. You get to you know you hear about it there you know for forever afterwards. That, that 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 makes it a little different and also as far as what it means to me uh an nhra race win has been on my mind since i was 12 you yeah. know when when i went to when i started really watching pro stock motorcycle 
and Angel and, and Eddie and, and Andrew out there. And I decided that that's, that's the direction in drag racing I wanted to go with the motorcycle route and eventually being pro stock bike to actually be here and, uh, and, you know, be coming close to getting those opportunities to win. It's, it, there's a whole lot more going through my head and my heart and my stomach when it's, you know, a final round or a semi-final round at an HRA race than, than a 30, 40, $50,000 grudge race. Cause like, like I said, at the end of the day, if, if somebody is crazy enough to bet thirty, forty thousand dollars on you, um, you know, more power to them. It ain't, it ain't, your, it ain't your fault. If you're right. losing, you know, they're the ones, they're the ones that are dumb enough to bet on you. So. <laughs> but, but the amount of work that it takes and uh, and skill that it takes to to uh, make it to a final and win a pro stock race makes it mean a whole lot more to me. You know. No, it's cool, man. It's cool. It's it's yeah. it's just so it's funny that the same sport can be so different in a couple different arenas, and and I know exactly what you're talking about because I feel in a lot of ways the same way. If I'm calling one of those races or I'm calling a national event, it is a different. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just saying it's a different emotionally. It's a different thing, and uh, it's pretty neat to hear it from your perspective as well. Yeah, right, absolutely, and it, and it means different things to different people. You know, it's you know some people some people can't stand class racing, some people yep. can't stand grudge racing. You know, it's just it's a you know, everybody has their own fancy needs to be tickled, you know? That's a fact. Man, I'm excited to uh, see what you and Corey are able to do this year with the program, not only on top of the Suzuki's that you'll be debuting, but also on the rental side of things. It seems like uh, there's a lot of really good positive momentum going on with this team, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch you guys throw the clutch out when we get down to Gainesville. Absolutely, buddy. Hey, I appreciate the call, and thanks for thinking about me, buddy. You bet. Thanks, Joey. All right, man. Bye. It's certainly going to be big fun watching Joey Gladstone, watching Corey Reed, and watching those four-valve-equipped Suzuki's cutting-edge motorcycles take on the likes of Matt Smith and the other big names in Pro Stock Motorcycle in 2021. We now transition to another racer who comes out of a background of grudge racing, who understands the pressures of all the money sitting on the starting line, a multi-generational racer himself. He has been a part of all different styles of competition, but now he enters the E3 Spark Plugs NHRA Pro Mod Series as the driver for Mike Janis Racing in 2021. J.R. Gray. J.R., how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How you doing today? Doing really well, and uh, you, you made some big headlines, man. Of course, in the last couple of weeks, uh, we know Mike Janis, unfortunately, can no longer drive after his uh, his heart operation. They put out the bat signal. They were looking for a driver, and, and you answered the call. So before we get into your history in drag racing, how did the whole Janis deal come together? You called them. They called you. What was the deal? Um, I, I reached out to them. Um, I had actually seen there. I was tagged in one of their Facebook posts, and um, you know, I got it like three days late, but I got it, and I was like, "Man, I want to um, scratch this, scratch this itch, and give them a call." So I went ahead and called them, and they called me back a couple hours later, and we made a deal within 24 hours. Man, that's great. Did uh, did Mikey or or Mike have uh, have kind of any of your background? Do you think they Google searched you before they called you back? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, no, Junior, Mike Junior. I know he he knew me, knew of me from radio racing and uh, from grudge racing. So um, he knew of me. But yeah, no, that's great, man. And. You know, for our NHRA fans out there, we're going to get into your your time running radial cars and certainly your grudge racing uh, success. But I really want to go back to, to kind of your history in drag racing because you're a third-generation drag racer, right? Your grandfather, your dad, you grew up at the racetrack. So talk to me a little bit about your history in the sport. Um, I, you know, I was born in Orlando, Florida, and I pretty much, like, I would say I was born at um, Speed World, Orlando <laughs> Speed World. And um, really, all the tracks down in Florida and Central Florida, because I was dragged around to all of them as a kid. Um, my dad and Grandpa, they both had cars. And my dad was heavy into racing when I was born. He was a um, sportsman racer. And um, he actually won, I guess it would have been the world champion in NHRA over everybody else two times. Wow. Um, all the way down to Atlanta one year. Uh, I forget, but he won like a brand new Mustang. Oh, like, that's awesome. Somehow, you know, like Ford sent him a Mustang with, like, you know, he got what color leather he wanted, what color the car was, and everything. I don't know the whole deal because I was only, like, you know, eight years old. I think that was in 82. <laughs> and um, or maybe five years old or something. But, yeah, um, so I don't remember. But, yeah, he won a, a Mustang and all somehow down there at the um, Divisional down in uh, Atlanta. Man, that's a great story, and the, and the thing shows up, and your dad's instant hero status when you get a new Mustang sitting in the driveway. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, back then, you know, there wasn't no Facebook or no .com, you know, so they they actually had to get your phone number and call you. You know, you, 
you had a cord, you had that long cord on the phone, you know, <laughs> walk around the house. So, so but, it, uh, yeah, so you grew up traveling around with your, your dad and your grandfather, and, and what was the first thing you got into when you got old enough to drive? Well, um, honestly, you know, it was kind of a little bit of a separation. Um, my parents had separated, so I ended up getting up in South Carolina. That's how I wound up in South Carolina. And uh, so I got away from it, And uh, but whenever I got – I didn't really get back on track until I, like, I'd say 23 or 24 years old. Okay. When I was finally able to save up enough money, you know, I was a fan – you know, I probably started sitting. I always went to drag races still, off and on, and watched as a fan. But I didn't get a car, I think, until I was 23 or 24, finally, when I saved up enough money. So I had, um, I just started in on um, top, um, you know, top or um, no bot or no bot top. I started off in them classes there. And just, um, I mean, honestly, I started off winning. I mean, I won um, a good bit in my first season, even um, racket racing. And then um, I think by the second year, I've done one track championship and, you know, a club championship, you know, type deal um, in my second year. And um, I won some big races my first year racing, like um, Civil Wars in, um, at Rockingham and, and stuff like that. You know, bigger events than 300 cars at. So I, I've done good in, in anything that I've actually strapped myself into from grudge racing to, to, to um, anything else. But, we moved on. I went bracket racing, won a couple of track championships, and then I kind of went to no box when the economy went bad, trying something different. I actually built a car out of spare parts I had. Nice. Then I was spending money with that. I kind of self-fanned my way with no box, too, and then I started building a grudge car, a nitrous grudge car of Buick Regal in my shop with um, the help of friends and stuff, and then I um, just slowly started getting into nitrous racing. And then we started at a little outlaw track. You know, you got to get in where you fit in. So <laughs> that's a good if point. If you can't win at the main events, you find where you can win at. You just got to have a you know strategic plan in place and, and go where your car is best suited to win. So we did a lot of winning, um, little outlaw tracks and stuff. I think one year we actually won just in like little fifteen hundred dollar shootouts. We won like twenty seven thousand dollars. Oh man! Like that. We didn't have the twenty five thousand in the whole car that we built that year. <laughs> never, never even freshened the motor up back then or nothing. <laughs> So, um, you know, so we just kind of, you know, you got to be smart with what you have and, and, and make the most bang with what you do have. And I just slowly climbed, climbed the ranks. Um, you know, thereafter, when I got into nitrous racing, you know, I guess after that year there, I got in with Stevie Fast. Me and him got teamed up. And um, we had a couple of different cars along the way, honestly. And he became my tuner and, and actually taught me a lot or everything, if not everything, on um, – you know, working on motors and, and, and everything that I do know really of, of any significant amount came from Stevie because I was with him for, I think, six years, you know, on, on the grudge, me grudge racing, and he was um, professionally racing, you know. And talk to me a little bit when, when you kind of made the transition from bracket racing and into the, you know, you talk about kind of the local smaller track style of grudge racing. Um, did people kind of look at you and laugh like, oh, this bracket racer guy showing up here, what's he going to do to us? And all of a sudden you start winning stuff. I mean, how did that go over? Well, that's, you know, you kind of earn your, earn, earn your, earn your, earn your way in grudge racing. Um, nobody gives you nothing. Yeah. Um, so they, they were hard, you know, entering into an outlaw world, grudge racing world, you know, they, you know, in certain areas when they talk to you, they'll talk down on you, say you're just a bracket racer, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, the only thing that passes, you just put in the time and stay there and keep on pounding there. But it's really an art to the whole deal, and um, especially more so in the past than now. Now on Facebook and stuff and things like that changed a lot of dynamics of grudge racing. But, you know, back in the day, it was um, more about showing up and, um, you know, you'd negotiate more races out at the track, per se, than, than ahead before you get to the track. But, um it was just an interesting transition. I mean, we still won a lot and did a lot. and We did a lot of, like, switcheroos and stuff like that um, that, that was real entertaining back then. Like, you know, one story I had, I had a car that was, um, well, we had the car, original car called Jason X. Yes. And um, it was a, the original Jason X was a steel body Mustang with all glass, power windows, steel, you know, still small block in it. And, and what I did was we, I showed up to a track on Sunday with another car I had that looked, it was another Mustang that lightened up and everybody seen me running it with a big block. Well then, um, 
I think that was on a Sunday. And then anyhow, I had a race locked in with four car, a four car shootout deal for like $12,000 or something. It's a next weekend event. So on Sunday, after everybody's seen my one, both cars, I went back and, um, I took my small block out and put it in the lighter Mustang I had because it was, you know, it was 700 pounds lighter. <laughs> and, and I took, and me and Stevie was testing that car on, um, Wednesday at the track maybe Tuesday. Like I swapped all drivetrain and, and, and the wheels and everything to make it resemble the other one. And I think we were testing it like on Tuesday, but that, we got that thing going right down the track singing. So by Thursday, I had it at the wrap shop getting wrapped the same color as the other car. <laughs> so when we rolled through the gates down in, um, where are we going? We went up to Piedmont. It was Piedmont for this race. We went up to Piedmont. We pulled the car out the trailer to everybody else. They just think that I had, um, did some work to the other car a little bit, maybe changed a few things, but they were really tricked at first. You know, I had people like trying to take pictures and, you know, over the next week, two weeks, people started figuring it out. But, but that night they didn't. And man, we lined up. It it was the perfect, perfect bait and hook. We lined up and, and, and I shot it down there and did a three thirty, and it went perfect. I shut it down. I says, we're good to go. You know, no, no problems. And, um, and my, some of my biggest competitors was in that race with me at the time, but, Long story short, there wasn't no gold that day. We lined up in the first round and blowed the tires <laughs> off. That wasn't all that work. No but way. It, it was, <laughs> yeah, we blowed the tires off. And I, put me, and I was I was facing my rival at, in that first round of that four-car shootout that day. And um, so it was all for nothing at the end of the day, but it was still fun. It's still a heck of a story, you know. Oh, man, that's, you know, a, good, that's a great story. <laughs> oh, that's wild, man. And, you know, obviously your success uh, and the Headshot Camaro and Jason X, you know, you became, um, dare I say, still are, you know, rose to the rank of probably the premier grudge racer in the country for for a period of time. And you're certainly a guy that's in the conversation of the top couple. And before we move into the class racing style of stuff that you do, that you're doing more of now, talk to me a little bit about you know, you mentioned the grudge racing and, and social media changes a lot of stuff. I would imagine that it also makes it way more difficult to actually get races, right? Because now all of a sudden, you know, you get your car tuned up and the thing's hauling. Even though the scoreboards are off, people are paying attention, people are posting videos, you probably have to go uh, expand the circle of cars you're trying to find to get races with, right? Yeah, you slowly expand it. You know, you try to, you try to control the expansion of who you're racing and where you're going with it as slow as you can. Um, cause you're tall really, you know, about the hustle. You're trying to, yeah. trying to trick yeah. as many people as you can. But, um, yeah, that, that, it don't matter what I could show up with a dually now and I can't get a, <laughs> like, I'll have a car won't race me. And, um, and you know, so I, I always say, I always got to go way out on the olive tree branch, you know, like I'm way out there on the limb to even get a race locked <laughs> in anymore. And really most of the races I lock in, I can't win. I go and figure out how to win after I lock them in because, Nobody likes to give me nothing fair, you know. That's a sign of a, a sign of a great, uh, certainly a great grudge racer, and certainly a sign of a great drag racer. Uh, you made a lot of headlines when you moved into the radial versus the world category. The uh, the, the new modern headshot Mustang or Camaro, rather Reese Brothers race car built, big nitrous engine in it, and uh, effectively in its debut race, you win a seventy thousand dollar throwdown in the category down at Donald's race. Uh, talk a little bit about approach wise in radio versus the world that is a, a wide open you know publicized class if you will versus grudge racing does it does it change mentally for you or it's the same thing um you know the um it didn't really change much i mean it's sort of the same game um you're, you're trying to make rounds so you're 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 aware of that of course me and stevie's style of racing you know especially my style has always been one and done yeah, you know when I line up a car, if it's a big enough grudge race or whatever, when I line the car up, you know, like I don't care if it don't. That's the last pass it's ever going to make. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> it's a if the pistons ain't hanging out of the block at six hundred and seventy feet, then we did something wrong. <laughs> but but no, the, the class racing. I mean, you know, there's a little bit more. Um, there's different rules to the game, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, there's more, and even in the in your your you know your chess game of playing the field and and yeah. and, and yeah. you know it, it's just a little bit different how you can move around there. Um, you know, we went there pressure wise; it was no different. I mean, the only other pressure we would feel would be you know making the other round. You know, because sometimes you might meet meet one of them competitors where you really think you got you know 
you either either neither one of us is going to the next round or we're going to try to repair the car and make the next round. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's a little bit more pressure in the point of the pits because, you know, most of my crew are, you know, we're all amateurs. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, us trying to turn a car in 45 minutes or an hour, if that's all we have, that's a challenge. You know, as far as if we're having to put a piston in or two pistons in, you know. Yeah, no, that makes yeah. uh, that makes total sense. And now we're going to transition into talking about the E3 spark plugs ride that you're going to have with uh, with Mike Janis Racing. First off, it'll be the first time in your long drag racing life that you're actually looking over top of a blower or beside a blower rather than a big hood scoop. <laughs> that's right. I'm thinking I might be able to see better, so that's what I'm waiting to see. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, even if these guys decide to stick in the left lane, it's not like you're unfamiliar with trying to see around a big object in the lump middle of the hood. And I think you're right. I think a I think a Roots blower is actually a little bit more narrow, or at least a little tighter visually, than a big, uh, big giant hood scoop. That's right. That's right. I, I'm thinking it is, too. Um, so we'll wait and see. I'm not really, um, you know, running the blower. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Mike and them will be able to coach me enough and, yeah. and we'll get right on through it. We, um, like I said, I've, I've drove a wide range of cars and a lot of time, I don't have a lot of time to get, get too, too warmed up to them. And, and, and so far to this date, we have, um, succeeded every time, you know, well. <laughs> and talk to me about making full pulls, man. I know, uh, back in your bracket racing days, I'm guessing you did some quarter mile drag racing, but, uh, this will be uh, totally different speed wise. You know, when I talk to guys that have transitioned into the, into the pro mod class, guys like Lyle Barnett and Stevie back when he came in, they do say that the last three, 400 feet, you go, man, they realize this thing's hauling ass. <laughs> there is a speed <laughs> difference. <laughs> yeah. I think my, my focus is going to be mainly on the tires and, and like you said, the quarter mile. I mean, everybody, um, you know, Stevie's told me, Barker's told me that, that you know, same deal with what you're saying. You know, that last back half of the track, um, you're really pulling. Then you realize you got to stop this thing. That's what I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's backing up to the other funny part with what they're saying is you got to stop this thing. Is you know, sometimes some of these tracks, the people think you did a lot of driving when you were going down through the lanes, but they ain't watching when you're shutting it down. You know, sometimes. <laughs> The hairier part of any track is the, the shutdown part. It ain't the acceleration part. <laughs> yeah, that's an absolute fact. Yeah, we've seen some in, you know, when I'm out there calling these races, I always, I never take my eyes off the window until I see people make the corner because, like you said, past the finish line, it gets even hairier sometimes. It, it does. I've, I've, I've been in a wide range of tracks, and I've been like, I swear some of them turned into a dirt road down there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what the testing schedule is going to be, kind of what you guys have worked out. Uh, I'm guessing you'll be running in Orlando the week before the Gator Nationals, but any plans on uh, getting south before that? Um, well, I'm going to fly up there and get get fitted for the car, make sure everything's good and comfortable, get poor in seat. I think we're going to do that in like two weeks. Um, right now I'm handling all the paperwork with my NHRA license, getting all that squared away. I'm making sure all my driving gear is, perfectly good and um anything i need to get in i'm getting there our first race will be orlando we're going to start at bradington the week before nice and um do our testing and get our license gathered up and then we're going to move on down to orlando and and race at that the uh, what is the drag illustrated what what the, the uh, drag world, yeah the world door slammer race yeah world door slammer race yes correct and then we're gonna um and then we're gonna head on into um gainesville which is um you know, um, I'm excited about both of them tracks. Number one, Orlando, Bradington, Orlando, and um, Gainesville. You know, I was at a lot of them tracks a lot of times over the years when I was little. So I look forward to um, my first Pro Mod race is being in Orlando. Um, that's going to be very special to me. And then, um, you know, and I look forward to my first NHRA race is going to be the Gator Nationals. I mean, really, to me, there couldn't be a better storybook story no that's it's exactly what i was going to say and and you know the, the the natural question at this point is what would uh what would your daddy and your grandfather have to say about this well you know and i've been told this story before and, and, and i never will forget it but you know my dad he had quit racing and um and then you know when he passed away he had told me he said his only regret was never um racing he actually told me you know um to take take what the money had given me and go buy a pro mod and um uh, go pro mod racing now it took quite a couple of years to keep on getting working my way to that position but now here we are going to get a pro mod and here we are going to basically what i say is my birth and home original home track of orlando speed world in the pro mod 
So um, I think my dad, my dad would be, um, and my grandpa, they would just be ecstatic. Like, you know, um, my grandpa, before he died, I'd went down to Florida with just a, um, I mean, really back then it wasn't even much. I mean, it was an enclosed trailer with, you know, a nice dually. And I uh, went down there and I remember him telling me, he says, I didn't, I knew, knew one of us was going to make it big one day. And I just didn't know it was you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> And, you know, and he was, and then that was just a really, really honestly, that was just a basic little uh, tag trailer, the dually, nothing really special. I would um, be amazed when he sees, like, you know, I got my one rig's 95 foot long now, <laughs> you know, and we got about everything that we can work on anything in that trailer. So I would just, I mean, really, it would be more than my grandpa could even imagine. And, and I, if my dad was still here, I know he would love it because he would love this whole transition of me going to the top of the grudge ranks and then the, all the story you know everybody just coming around his little country town there because bracing was big around there and everybody be talking about it you know at a shop or something so i'm sure he would uh, really be loving that that's a spectacular deal and, and last question before i let you go um between nhra pro mod races you plan on trying to get the radial car out at all you plan on trying to get the grudge cars out at all or what's uh, what's kind of your outlook with all, everything this year as just opposed to the E3 stuff? Um, my outlook is, you know, first and foremost is, is going to be NHRA and Pro Mod, you know, in, in, in the championship. So I'm not going to lose focus on that. You know, I'm going to give um, Mike and Mike um, the best that I can give them. You bet. Uh, and whatever, whatever, you know, I appreciate the opportunity they're giving me in this. So, so I'm going to stay focused on that. And, you know, we, we the radio car really – I'm going to take um, headshot out um, if we can. Right now, you know, I'm going to try to fit in maybe some of Donald's races. Um, sure. You know, I really like to go back to Sweet 16 because I'm defending champion, so I'm really going to try to make the Sweet 16, I know. And then um, I'm going to fill in grudge races where, where I can. We have another car um, coming out. I can't really release it, but it's going to be real interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, after the rest of this conversation, I guarantee you it will be. It's going to be – it's great, man. It's cool. And, and you know, I think on behalf of all the fans of the class, it's it's gotten and continues to get really interesting, man. When I see guys like Lyle Barnett, when I see guys like you, Stevie, Todd Tuttero, uh, Ricky Smith, I look at I look at all you guys and, and the skill level and the passion, the ability you bring. Um, it's going to be great. I mean, listen, in my mind, I mean, I'm I'm super pumped up to see you and Barnett line up next to each other. I want to see you and Stevie try to beat each other's brains in. It's going to be a really fun year. Yeah, that's the way it is. I mean, you know, I love rival, rivalries is what fuel drag racing. You yes. know, you can have healthy rivalries. So a little bit of talk and, and, and everybody really trying to crush each other is good for the sport because the fans really love the energy of, of, of all that. You know, they really want to know the drivers and, and feel like they're part of your team and that, 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 you know, we're here to beat everybody. And I like, unless you're in my pits, you're all fair game if you're at that track. So, you know, everybody's a rival at that point in time. I mean, I'll loan anybody anything, but that don't mean, you know, we're still rivals. Amen to that, man. Hey, JR, thanks so much. Congratulations on the deal with uh, with Mike Janice Racing. Great to see that team carrying on and certainly with uh, with the right guy in the seat. So I will see you in Gainesville, and uh, best of luck getting your seat poured and getting all your gear and your license squared away. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show, and I'd like to thank Mike and Mike again for, um, you know, letting me come and, and drive the car and and I, you know i want to thank all the sponsors that are, st- that are staying with us and and i appreciate everything thanks man so there they are the two grudge men the grudge men cometh both joey gladstone and jr gray have earned their stripes in drag racing all across the country in their own way of course gladstone on motorcycles and gray in a series of just nasty door slammers and he is now going quarter mile door slammer racing in one of the nastiest cars a world championship caliber car at Mike Janis Racing. And it's going to be spectacular to see both of these riders and drivers kind of attack the 2021 season and bring their own brand of expertise, bring their own brand of experience into the fold. A lot of great things happening around NHRA E3 Spark Plugs Pro Mod Racing, NHRA Camping World Drag Racing, and don't get too put down by the occasional chunk of bad news. We still live in an uncertain time, of course, but I can tell you this, 
everybody behind the scenes of the world of NHRA drag racing working our tails off the Lucas Oil Series, the E3 Spark Plug Series, the Camping World Series, no matter what it is, I can tell you that there is an absolute 110% effort going on behind the scenes to make 2021 an incredible season. It will only be an incredible season with great competitors like Gladstone, like Gray, and like the rest of our competitors in any series that the NHRA puts on. We are about six weeks away from the Gator Nationals. It'll be a very, very busy six weeks for Gladstone, for Gray, and for everybody in the world of NHRA drag racing. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast, an incredibly fun episode. We'll be back with another one next week as we continue to keep our eyes open and our radar up about big news and big personalities in the sport. We'll see you next week.